If you do have your Bibles and you're, you're staying in here, um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And so this schedule was written long before Mother's Day came, and so this is the passage that we're dealing with. We started last week, and we're going to continue this week. Um, actually, I thought when we first, I, I, I basically do the schedule six months, a year in advance sometimes, and, and initially when this passage was last week, this week was going to be a passage about mothers and, or about fathers and mothers being obeyed by their children. And so I thought that would be a fitting Mother's Day message, children obey your parents. But last week, if you're with us, you recognize that there were a lot of stones left unturned. And so this week we're continuing in the, the passage that we looked at last week. So this is the mystery of marriage part two. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 33. You can turn there. I'm going to read that passage in a, in a second. Um, but just at the outset, let me um, just remind you, uh, we're going to look at the same passage. It, it is part two, which means that if you weren't with us last week, please go back and listen to last week's message. Don't hear this and leave upset or, or confused until you go listen to last week's message. Last week was, was the first one in the foundation and absolutely necessary to, to understand before this week, okay? And so all of our sermons are online on our website. You can, you can listen to them on, on any of your devices. So um, go to our website, listen to last week's message, um, and then, then apply this week in light of last week. Um, but if you weren't here, or if you were here and you've forgotten last week, the main idea was simply that the purpose of human marriage, going all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, the purpose of marriage is to paint a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And so, so that was the main, that I, I spent the whole sermon making that point. It was redundant, but it's an important point that human marriage is intended to mirror or represent or be a parable for the marriage between Christ and his church. And so last week we looked at verse 31 and 32, specifically verse 32, when Paul says, the mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. And so he says the one flesh, one flesh mystery of marriage refers to Christ and the church. And so every human marriage is intended by God to be a parable of the relationship between Christ and the church. That was part one, and that is the necessary foundation. And like I said, it was necessary to spend a whole week setting that foundation because this week we're going to look at the rest of the passage, and we're going to look at the specifics within human marriage. So we're going to look at the specific roles that husbands and wives play within their marriage, okay? But, but those roles must be played in light of the foundation that their marriage is to depict the relationship between Christ and the church. And in fact, their roles are to mirror, the husband's role is to mirror that of Christ, and the wife's role is to mirror that of the church. So, so we'll look at that. But let me, let me give the outline here at the beginning as we work through this. So first, we're going to look at some preliminary issues. Um, so these are just some, some things that I just want to get out on the table um, at the outset, and then we're going to look at the call to Christian wives that we find there in verses 22 through 24 of Ephesians 5, and then we're going to see the call to Christian husbands, which is found in verses 25 through 33 of Ephesians 5. And so, before we look at those preliminary issues, let's read the passage, and then I'm going to pray for us. Um, but Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, is where I'm going to pick up. So Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, Paul writes, Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, let me pray as we begin. Lord, just just having sung that song, All We Have is Christ, we come uh, standing, finding our hope in the gospel that Christ died for us and gave himself up for us. And so we all come to you as, as members of the bride. We're all members of your church that you loved and gave your life for. And so we're thankful for the gospel. And Lord, I pray as we as we seek to understand these verses, as we seek to see how they apply in Christian marriage, Lord, would you give us wisdom and insight uh, give us humility as we approach these verses. Uh, Lord, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so preliminary issues. Okay, let me just say, I'm not going to say everything that I want to say, and I'm not going to say everything that I probably should say. And so if you have questions afterwards, please, please come to me, email me, stop by the church. I, 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 I hear, I'm not trying to avoid anything. It's just I can't say everything I wanted to say. Um, and so, so I, I understand I'm not, I'm not going to be able to answer every question. But, but so first, preliminary issues. The first thing I want to say is, is create the creation account in marriage. So understanding the creation account and how it uh, has effects on marriage. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation account. And what's important to recognize from the creation account is that in Genesis 1, when God, the Lord God, creates male and female, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, Verse 27 of Genesis 1, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so the creation account teaches that male and female are both equally created in the image of God. Right? So, so there's no lesser than or greater than. Right? Image of God, male and female. Right, so, so there's no distinction in value or importance. Right? Genesis 1 sets that from the very beginning. Right? So gender roles and functions do not and must not be understood as resulting in equality. Okay, so we're going to talk about specific roles for male husbands and wives. These roles cannot and must not be allowed to, to contradict the teaching of Genesis 1 that male and female are both equally created in the image of God. So there's equality there's equal value and significance, and that's really important to understand here at the outset. But it's also important to recognize that male and female, while equally created in God's image, male and females also have been created differently. So that male is not female and female is not male. There is distinction, and that is purposeful. God created men and women who are equal in value but are different, both in the image of God but different. There's a distinct difference between men and women, and that's on purpose. That's God's plan, God's intention. 
And so our maleness or our femaleness is not incidental to our humanness. It constitutes our very essence. You're either male or female. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's how God created you. And he didn't mess up when he did that. God doesn't make us into a generic humanity that is later differentiated. Rather, we start, from the start, we are male and female. Okay, so just hear that. You're either a man or a woman here this morning. And God made you that way. And so if our gender, if your gender is at the heart of your nature, we risk losing a key part of ourselves if we abandon our distinctive male and female roles. So if you're a woman who's married, God has called you to a specific role as a Christian wife. And if you abandon that, you're abandoning who you are at, at your core. It's from the beginning. You're created male and female. Recognizing the differences and understanding our unique callings as men and women, specifically in marriage, is foundational to how we live as Christians. Okay, so that's creation, the creation account in marriage. The second preliminary point is how the fall affects marriage. And so the fall in marriage, not, so Genesis chapter 3, the very next chapter, the curse. So, so the first man and the first woman, they fall, they sin, and, and the world is affected. And so ever since the curse of Genesis 3, which is we live in a cursed world, if you didn't know that, our world is cursed. That's why there's death. That's why there's disaster. That's why there's disease. That's why there's suffering, right? The world isn't as it was meant to be, right? So we live in a fallen world, and part of that fall, part of the effects of that fall is that sin is distorted marital roles. So that what, what we're intended to do, the, the way we're intended to function in marriage as, as husbands and wives has been distorted by the fall. So it doesn't come natural to us. So, so just, you can write this down, you don't have to go there, but in Genesis 3, and in verse 15, I think maybe 16 and following, I think it's 16 and following, when, when the Lord begins saying the, the, the consequences of the results of the fall, he says to Eve, to the first woman, the first wife, he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. So ladies, it was gonna be painful, right, from the beginning, but it's an increased pain as part of the fall. Right? In pain you shall bring forth your children. But here's what I want you to, to understand or focus on. He says, your desire, wife, Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. So you're going to be desire contrary to your husband, and he, but he shall rule over you. And so that's part of the, the, the effect of sin entering the world. So whereas prior to sin entering the world, this relationship between Adam and Eve was complementary. They both had roles. So God gives them roles when he creates them. Before sin enters the world, they have a, a certain function. There's no division. There's no tension. There's no bitterness in this first marriage. It was a perfect marriage with both parties functioning as they were intended by God. But once Genesis 3 happens and the fall happens, the landscape of marriage is changed. So that husbands and wives don't function in that way anymore because sin has distorted marriage in the complementary roles. And so Eve's desire will now be contrary to Adam's. So, so she's, she's going to want to be over Adam. She's not going to follow Adam. Right? She's going to want things other than what her husband wants for her. And Adam, notice, is going to rule over her. Right? That's, that's not a good thing. That's a consequence that, that the husband is going to be tempted to rule unlovingly and harshly his wife. And so this contrary desire and this ruling are both results of the fall. The wife's desire to oppose the lead of her husband, right? So the wives are going to want to lead their husbands, which is not the intention from the beginning. And husbands are going to rule over his, 
his wife, which is not the intention from the beginning. And so the fall affects your marriage and my marriage. In Genesis 3, we immediately see the catastrophic change in the unity between this first man and woman. The air is filled with blame shifting and finger pointing, right? Adam says, she did it. And she says, the serpent did it, right? It's blame shifting. There's no unity anymore. There's accusation. So the woman remains dependent and desirous of her husband. But it turns into an idolatrous desire. And, and the husband, his protection and love, that they become selfish lust and exploitation. Right? So, so both roles right, are subject to the fall and are now distorted. It's one of the most tragic results of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God is an ongoing damaging conflict between husband and wife in marriage. So, so your marriage is, is in indefinite conflict in a fallen world, even if you're Christians. The fall affects your marriage. It damages, right? So it's driven, this conflict is driven by sinful behavior of both husbands and wives in rebellion against their respective God-given roles and responsibilities. So the fall has affected marriage and the landscape of marriage. Another, I think I have two more preliminary points, maybe three. Um, so, so the next thing is just to, to point out some misunderstandings. And so one misunderstanding is that, that we often relate or identify biblical marriage as traditional marriage. Right? So we have the stereotype that, oh, well, you're just, this idea of biblical marriage, we associate that with traditional marriage. But there's a difference between traditional marriage and biblical marriage. And so many people will bristle against the idea of, of roles for wives and husbands because many people think that Paul, when, when someone says this is what the Bible means, people think that what is meant is that if you're a wife, you've got to stay home and cook all the food. And if you're a husband, you've you got to go to work and you've got to do all the financial stuff, right? But, but that's traditional marriage. That's not biblical marriage necessarily. And so there's a difference. So, so don't say, well, I'm, I'm, don't, don't work under... The, don't, don't be deceived by stereotypes when we're looking. We, we want to see what does the Bible say, and we want to take what the Bible says and not what tradition says. The biblical pattern of marriage does not mandate leave it to beaver gender roles. Right? So, so just hear that. Hear that, right? That, that's, that, that's something that, that we should reckon with at the outset. Traditional marriage is not the same as biblical marriage. Another misunderstanding is the characters of biblical roles within marriage. And so we live in a culture where, where it's like, oh, you Christians believe this about women and this about men. Right? So if you teach a woman must submit, oh, that, that's just, and, and, and fill it out with stereotypes or, or with a caricature. Oh, all, this is what Christian marriage is about. And we just have to be careful that, that th these are not helpful characters of biblical roles within marriage because this caricature is not accurate. The ones I've heard, they're not accurate. They're not reading Ephesians 5 and what the husband is called to do. And so we have to be aware of, of falling into these, these assumptions. Right? So, so people will say, well, gender roles within marriage are outdated products of patriarchal times. Well, Paul is just a product of his culture. That's why he wanted women to submit, because that was the cultural norm. We just have to recognize that Paul's remarks here to wives and to husbands are counter to every cultural pattern that was present in that day. So it was countercultural. Everything was saying. So he's not a product of his culture. Both, both, both roles are countercultural. His vision for marriage is not a concession to any cultural pattern, but substantially challenges all of them. And so we, we just have to hold, hold forth what does Paul teach? What does Scripture teach regarding these roles? And so we have to avoid these characters. So, so when people say, well, you just, you just think that wives are slaves or wives are servants. Well, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
right? Let, let's deal with the text. That's what we want to do this morning. Then the last, last preliminary remark that I'll make is simply recognizing that, that these verses fall within a context. And so, so we've been working through Ephesians from verse 1 of chapter 1, and now we're all the way to the end of chapter 5. And so this context is important, specifically verse 21 of chapter 5, which, which calls all Christians to submit to one another. Right? So do you remember that back in, in verse 21? There's a call to mutual submission. Right? That's a serious call, and we should heed that call. So part of a, a spirit-filled Christian, part of his or her life, is a call to submit to one another. Right? So, so submission, mutual submission, characterizes the Christian life. And so we, we must not back down from recognizing that there is a mutual call for submission among all Christians, whether husbands or wives or, or neighbors or, or kids. Right? Christians are called to mutually submit to one another, to defer the other. Right? To, to consider others more significant than yourself. That's, that's foundational and fundamental to the Christian life. So yes, verse 21 precedes verses 22 through 33. And yes, verse 21 calls for mutual submission. We have, to, we have to accept that. However, in the context, the mutual submission to which all are called in verse, 29, verse 21 does not rule out the specific and different roles and relationships to which husbands and wives are called in the following verses. So we can't say, oh, 21, mutual submission, I'm going to ignore all that's said. No, this call to mutual submission is a general, this is how all Christians relate, and here's specifics how Christians relate. Husbands and wives, here's how, you sub, here's how you relate. Children and parents, here's how you relate. Bond servants and masters, here's how you relate. So there's a whole code of relationships within Christians, within the community of the Christian family. And so this larger section of Ephesians 5 is focused on what does it mean to be a spirit-filled, to live a spirit-filled life. And part of what it means, Paul will argue and has argued, is that living a spirit-filled life is to walk according to your calling. And, and here is to live in accordance with God's purpose for us in our specific roles. And so to, to live life as a spirit-filled Christian, as a wife or a husband, right? Paul says, here's how you do that. Here's the specifics of how you live as a Christian in the state that you're called. And so he's addressing wives and husbands in our passage this week. And then next week, we'll look at children and parents and bond servants and masters. But the bigger, ca- the, the bigger context is simply, how do we live spirit-filled lives? And he has specific calls and commands for wives and husbands as individuals. So let's look first there, verses 22 through 24, the call to Christian wives. So there in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so in light of that, the pattern's clear, isn't it? The pattern is clear. The Christ-church relationship is the pattern. So that's what we started last week with Christ-church. That's the foundation because Paul says, wives, submit to Christ. Submit to your own husbands as Christ, or as the church submits to Christ. And so that's the pattern. At the beginning, Paul addresses Christian wives and says, just as, so also. So the pattern is Christ in the church. Now, there's a lot that could be said and maybe should be said, but, but let, let me just draw out a few things from, from these few verses. First, notice the scope of this call. Notice that Paul doesn't say, women submit to men. Right? That's not what he says. Right? So, so that's not what he says. He also doesn't say, Women submit to all husbands. 
That's not what he says either. There's not this general, generic call for for the female gender to submit to the male gender. That's not the call here. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands. So we just have to recognize that. This is a call to the Christian wife to submit to her own husband. It's important to recognize because it's within this one flesh union, this marital union of, of two becoming one, this marriage relationship that Paul addresses Christian wives And he says, wife, submit to your own husband. We also ought to point out that this call is addressed to the wife. And he's addressing Christian wives. The whole issue of submission, it's a unique call placed on the wives, which means it's not the job of the husband to ensure that the wife submits. He doesn't address the husband saying, husbands, make sure your wives submit. No, he's addressing Christian wives. And he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. The New Testament never commands husbands to subordinate their wives. Never. So, so husband, don't hear me say, go ahead and make your wife submit. That's not your job. That is not your job. Paul addresses the wives and, say, Why? and says, wives, submit to your own husband. If you're here and you're a husband, your concern is not to ensure that your wife submits to you. We'll get to what your job is shortly. And it's far greater than harder, greater and harder than making your wife submit. Your task is, is impossible. And so it's not the job of husbands to force submission. So wives submit to your own husbands. So notice also the motivation of this call. Notice what Paul says. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So Paul implies here that a wife's submission to her own husband is an aspect of her obedience to the Lord. I think that's how you understand as to the Lord. In the same way that a Christian wife should not get drunk with wine and should not let all unwholesome talk come out of her mouth, all these spirit-filled evidences of spirit-filled living, so also she ought to submit to her husband. I mean, that, that's how this flows. That's part of what it means for her to honor and obey the Lord. So he says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So as unto the Lord. And so you're honoring the Lord when you submit to your own husband. A spirit-filled wife who loves the Lord and longs to honor him is going to be a wife who labors to submit to her husband and to follow him. And that's, that's the logic here. But not only does Paul command wives to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord, he also says wives should do this, notice verse 23, because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. The idea expressed it is clear. So, so the word head there implies authority. I mean, there's no other way to understand that. Right? Wives submit to your own husbands because the husband is the head of the wife. I mean, it is an issue of authority. So, so the wife is called to submit herself to willingly follow the lead of her husband who has been given authority over her. The husband is given the role of authority, leadership, headship, and the wife is called to submit, to follow, to respect and those roles, remember, they're not original to Paul. We can't cop out and say, no, 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 that's just Paul writing. Right? Either we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and inspired, or it's not. And so we can't say, well, that's just Paul talking. No, 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 we don't have that option. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. And so this is the way that God has designed it. These roles were established in the beginning and were designed by God himself. If you take issue with this, don't take issue with me.
these roles, this marriage was designed by God, remember the purpose in order to picture the relationship between Christ and the church. And so we can't disregard these roles because these roles point to the gospel. And so husbands are to take their cues from the role of Christ and wives are to take their cues from the role of the church. That's God's design. And, and we can't miss this, both parts, both roles are essential to painting an accurate picture. If you don't have the role of husband and wife, you don't have a picture of the gospel. So it's important, these roles. And it's important the picture that they paint. We also ought to notice from these verses that this command is not unique to this letter. So this particular exhortation to the wife to submit to her husband is the universal teaching of the New Testament. Every passage... Every passage that deals with the relationship between the wife to her husband tells her to submit to him. Right? So every passage that deals with the relationship between a wife to her husband tells her to submit to him. It's the same verb in every case. So here in Ephesians 5, you can write these down. So Colossians 3, again, Paul, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. But it's not just Paul. 1 Peter 3, Peter writes, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then Titus 2, get this, in Titus, Paul says that the older women are to teach the younger women to be submissive to their own husbands. That's part of what discipleship looks like. You have older wives teaching younger wives to love their husbands, to submit to them. And so this call to wives to submit to their own husbands is the universal teaching of the New Testament. So if you have an issue here, you've got to step back and say, okay, why is it everywhere that the relationship between wife to husband is mentioned? Why is this verb, submit, mentioned? It's purposeful. And then last point that I'll make here before we move. Don't worry, we are getting to the husbands. And I'm going to be a lot more passionate when I'm addressing husbands. Okay, so stick with me, wives. But the last thing to, to note here is the extent of this command. So, so Paul writes, wives are called to submit to their own husbands in everything. Now Paul's point here isn't to say that a wife is to submit to her husband in every little thing. So it's not like, hey, every single opportunity, you better do it in everything, as in everything, exhaustive. His point is that the wife's call to submit to her own husband is all-encompassing. So, so some people would interpret this and say, oh, okay, when, when he wants to have relations with you, you better submit, but that's it. Right? That, that's not what it's teaching here. It, it means that your identity as a wife is to be submissive to your husband. So, so it covers every area of your life. It's exhaustive. I, I don't understand how else to, to, to interpret or understand in everything. It's an exhaustive call. It involves every area of life. It's not limited in scope. The husband is given the authority to lead, and the wife is called to follow her husband. Now, let me just make this, make this caveat. Paul doesn't feel the need to clarify here, but it should, because it should go without saying, but Christian wife, you are not called to follow your husband into sin. Okay, so you are not called to follow your husband into sin. So if your husband is leading you in sin, you put on the brakes and say, no, 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 my submission does not cross that line. And husband, if you want to flex your authority and lead your wife into sin, you're not worthy of that authority. That is abuse and misuse of your God-given authority. And so wives, you're to follow your husband, but you are still subject to Christ. And so if your husband leads you into sin, you stop and you refuse to obey or submit, and you follow Christ. 
Where your husband and Christ diverge, you must always follow Christ. So, application. Much more could be said, but, but let's get to some specific application. Most basically, wives, God calls you to submit to your own husbands. Right? That's the application. Wives, God calls you to submit to your own husbands. He doesn't call you to obey as though you're inferior. He doesn't call you a servant as though your husband is your master. He doesn't call you to lose yourself and your personality and your unique giftings in submitting to your husband. As though you have to leave your brain at the door or your opinion at the door. That's not what he's calling you to. Don't have to leave your competence at the door. Husbands, where would we be without the giftings and the intelligence and the unique giftings of our wives? So, so d- submission doesn't mean that you can't say anything. Right? That, that, those are stereotypes. That's not what this says. Submission means that as you and your husband work through decisions together, as you go through life together, your attitude is that of submission and encouragement and your desire is to follow your husband, to follow his lead, to support him. And as his wife, you know this, you have the ability to encourage and support and receive your husband's leadership. You're, you are the greatest champion for his leadership. You can be the, the, the greatest source of growth in his leadership as his wife by encouraging and supporting and receiving his attempts at leadership, though feeble at times. And so when you're actively doing these things, intentionally trying to do these things and, and encourage your husband, you'll often find that your husband responds by leading better and stepping up. That's how God created it. That's how God created husbands. On the other hand, wives, when you grow frustrated with your husband and irritated with his lack of care, with, with his lack of initiative you also have the unique and powerful ability to discourage him, to tear him down, to disrespect him, to demean him, to talk bad about him with your friends. And, and hear me, that's what your natural inclination is going to be. That's the effect of the fall. You don't want to follow him. You want, you want to demean him and discourage him. And you, you want to be out from underneath the authority of, of a husband a worthless husband. But when that happens, right, when you work against his leadership, right, the results are not good for him and they're not good for you either. Well, some, some specific ideas, right, they're, they're going to be numerous. And again, the principle is clear and how it works itself out is, is going to be as, as numerous as marriages. Okay, so, so, so these are just general recommendations, examples of what submission might look like in a Christian marriage. So so it might look like a wife receiving her husband's love and care and provision, being open to it. Or, or a wife providing encouragement, support, and input to her husband's initiatives to give vision and direction to the family. So, so when he takes initiative, say, yeah, that's a great idea. Right? Even if, especially if it's once in a blue moon that he does it. When he does it, don't say, why do you care? Right? Encourage it. Right? He, he's trying to function as a leader. And when you see signs of that, encourage that. It, it may look like a wife resisting the temptation to take control and say, no, 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 I'm going to do it all. I don't need your help. I, I, I'm self-sufficient. I don't, I don't need your help. Or it may look like resisting the impulse to undermine or complain about the leadership that her husband provides. Or, or plenty others. Like I said, there, there's numerous examples. But the main call to the Christian wife is to submit to her own husband or to yield to her own husband. And that's God's call to you as a wife. 
If you're here, you're not married, right? You are called to submit to Christ, right? So, so you're not exempt from a life of submission. You're called to submit to Christ if you're here, you're not married. If you're a young woman and you want to get married one day, part of what you should ask yourself in the pursuit of marriage is, is this a man I could see myself following for my entire life? Could I willingly submit myself to his leadership indefinitely? I mean, that's a, that's, that's a good question to ask. One wife wrote, this is a wife writing, as she struggled through this, she said, I realized that my submission in marriage is a gift that I offer, not a duty coerced from me. And so, Christian wife, you have, you have a, a, an opportunity to offer this to your husband as unto the Lord. And, and it's not that your husband is coercing you and, and you have to begrudgingly submit. No, it is something that you're called to to do. Well, let's look at the call to Christian husbands. So verses 25 through 33. So as Paul transitions here to the husbands, we ought to note that Paul does give more attention to the role of husband. So, so there, there are more verses, right? There, there are more words described to explaining what the husband's called to than what the wife is called to. And there's a lot here in these verses, in verses 25 through 33, and I'm not going to cover everything in depth. And so, so I'm going to make a few observations, right, from the big picture of, of the, what he paints here. So, so, so first notice there in verses 25 through 27, notice the pattern. So verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might be, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so in the same way that this, this Christ-church relationship set the pattern for the call to wives, so also here husbands find their pattern set from that marriage, but it's not by the church, the pattern set by the church, but the pattern set by Christ. And so husbands are called to follow Christ, right? And that is a massive calling for husbands. And so Paul writes, husbands, love your own wives, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so, Christian husband, how are you to love your wife as Christ loved the church? A love which led him to give himself up for her. He gave himself up for her. He died for her. Christ gave his life for his bride, the church. And he did that, notice, not for his own good, but for her good. He died for her benefit. He paid the price. He felt the burden so that she might benefit. He died so that she would be free and pure and spotless. He died for her good. It was a self-sacrificial love. In fact, it was the very act of self-giving that showed his love. And so husband, if you say you love your wife, but you are not actively displaying self-sacrifice, you don't love her. You're not following the command. This challenges and reverses the normal way that we understand authority. So this is where we have to be careful. Okay, husbands have authority over wives. Oh, I know what that means. No, you don't if you're taking your cues from the culture because Paul flips it on its head. The authority that God gives Christian husbands is not an authority that enables them to sit back and be served. Right? That's cultural authority. Ha, I'm the boss. I don't have to do anything. Right? With the higher authority we get in this cultural paradigm, the less we have to do. That is not Christian authority. 
That's not the husband's call. It's not an authority that enables the husband to sit back and be served. That is not the call of the Christian husband. The authority given by God to Christian husbands is to be used in the same way that Christ used his authority. Did Christ sit in heaven and do nothing and watch his bride wallow in sin? No. Thank God he didn't. He did something. He gave his life for her good. He died for his bride. That is love. And husband, that's what you're called to. You're to give your very life for the good of your spouse. It's not an authority that you can sit back and relax and watch TV and drink beer or Pepsi and eat chips. Right? Go serve me, wife. No, you have authority to serve. She should be the one sitting up, watching TV, eating. You should be getting her food. Christian husbands have been given authority for the good and the benefit of their wives. And so, Christian husband, if you think your wife owes you submission, but you don't lift a finger to show her you treasure her and cherish her and love her, or even care, you're missing the picture entirely. You need to stop thinking about submission of your wife. Your wife doesn't owe you submission. You owe her self-sacrificial love. You're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And so Paul emphasizes your call to be a self-sacrificing lover of your wife. And so the call for the Christian husband is found in the phrase, just that phrase. Maybe, maybe write this somewhere, husband, where you see it regularly. He, Christ loved the church, and this phrase, and gave himself up for her. Right? That's your calling in a phrase. Give yourself up for her. That's the call of the Christian husband. Give yourself up for your wife. Serve her. Suffer for her good. Sacrifice your own comfort for her. Lay aside your rights. Serve her. And when Christian husbands love this way, their God-given authority is no longer a threat to their wives. Instead, it's a gift. Right? When husbands use God-given authority to lay down their lives for the good of their wife, it's not a threat to a wife. Instead, it's a gift. I mean, what, what wife is going to bristle at the idea that, that her husband wakes up every day asking himself, how can I die for the sake of my wife today? How can I give myself over for her good? How can I spend and be spent so that she might benefit? What, what wife is going to bristle at the idea of her husband being driven by, by, by figuring out how he can sacrifice and work and labor to provide and protect and care for her? When a husband does that, his authority is not a problem. That's God's pattern. That, that's how husbands are to use their God-given authority. And that, that, that pattern shouldn't be the exception among Christian husbands. That shouldn't be the exception. I'm afraid it is. Too often the exception. Oh, well, he's just a really good husband. No. That should be the norm for Christian husbands, to be really good husbands. Husbands, our wives shouldn't have to go to Nicholas Sparks or Francine Rivers or Jane Austen in order to find a desirable husband. Or fill in the blank with, with your movie or author. Husband, you're to be the desirable husband. Don't send her outside of your marriage to find that. That's God's plan. You are to be that husband. I'm to be that husband. And so this call for Christian husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church should come across as an enormously challenging and sobering responsibility. So if you're hearing your husband hear me, the standard 
that you are to live up to is the love of Jesus for his church. At its foundation, it's not a sappy, sentimental love. It's a sturdy, self-sacrificial love. So your commitment to your wife requires nothing less than giving up your very life to love her and provide for her every day. It means choosing day after day to put her needs above yours. It means putting time and effort and energy into leading her and encouraging her. And this is hard. I mean, I, listen to this quote. One commentator said this. I thought, this is, this is convicting. So many husbands would claim a readiness to die for their wives if some violent intruder threatened her. So, so many husbands would say, oh, if someone came after my family, I would, I'd die for her, which is, that's good, right? that's right. But it becomes much more difficult for men in the grind of daily life to deny themselves, put their wives first, and demonstrate love in tangible ways that may interfere with other conflicting desires or lesser priorities. Yeah, I'll, I'll die for her if, if someone, if her life's in danger, but... Every day, like tomorrow morning, no way. I, I'd, I'd rather be comfortable, right? I'd rather spend my free time indulging me. But the Christian husband, you don't have that freedom. You're called to love and serve your wife, to love her. Notice, notice lastly, and, and we're, we're getting near the end, so look, notice there in verses 28 through 30. So, so Paul mentions this, this call to love but he kind of switches the focus here in these, these last verses and mentions a, a different aspect of marriage, which is, is a, a leading or providing. So look there in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. And, and so it's a different... He, he changes his perspective, but again, he's talking about the husband's role... And the basis of these verses is this one flesh union that marriage entails. And so that this second aspect of, hus- of a husband's responsibility, it's not as lofty as the call to love as Christ has loved, right? That's a lofty call. But, but here, it's just as important because it's really practical. He says, you ought to care for her because you're one flesh. And you ought to care for her. You ought to nourish her and cherish her. So since in marriage, two become one, a husband is called to care for and provide for his wife. And he does so because the two are one. So it's no longer two people. So, so, so now you're responsible for the, the wife that you have joined with. And so you're to cherish her and care for her. Paul is saying, just as every man has a natural tendency to give attention to every aspect of his body. And so, so as men, right, we, we, care, we tend to naturally care about our bodies and, and, and satisfying its needs. So, so we, we eat when we're hungry. It's natural to us. We care for our body. We feed it. We, we get sleep. We, we provide shelter, right? We're a raincoat if it's raining, or, or we, we develop knowledge and skills. We, we try and grow in learning. We exercise, probably not as often as we should, but we try and exercise. <laughs> Right? We, we, we comfort ourselves. If we're in pain, we, we, we go to the doctor. If we have a gash, we, we want to treat it. So we care for our own bodies. That's, that's the image that he's playing off, saying, just like you do that, as a husband, you better show that same initiative and instinct for your wife because she's part of you now. You're one. And so that's, that's, that's this care, this nourishing and cherishing Paul is calling husbands to do that because it doesn't come naturally because we want to still pretend like we're, we're not one. 
I'll just care for myself. I'm worried about myself, and she can worry about her own needs. But Paul says, no, 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 husband, you're the leader, and you better care for her and nourish her and cherish her. You better take the initiative, and you better commit to that. And so Paul in these verses is teaching that because a husband loves his wife, he will give his life for her good, and he'll express his love by nourishing and cherishing her. And so, and so this is a, a gentle care. And the headship of a husband over his wife must not be negative, oppressive, or reactionary. Instead, it must be a headship of love in which the husband gives of himself for his wife's good, nourishing and cherishing the beloved one who is, as his equal, voluntarily submitting to his headship. And so these are complementary roles. And, and when I start worrying about the role of my spouse, I cease worrying about my own role. And that's not how it's going to work. I worry about my own, and I trust that by God's Spirit, they or she is worrying about hers, and the two work together. They complementary roles. Husbands function as husbands are intended to function, and wives function as wives are intended to function. And it's the picture of Christ and the church. And so, again, like with the call to wives, much more could be said, but, but let's get some practical application here. Most basically, husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's your application. That's your take home. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If Christ in the church is the pattern, then husbands, when we refuse to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we misrepresent Christ in the gospel. The love of Christ for his adulterous, rebellious bride is the pattern that's been set for us. That's my pattern as husband. That's your pattern for husband. The love of Christ set forth in the gospel is a love that's given to the unlovely, the unlovable, the undeserving. That's your pattern. And so you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Your love is to mirror that of Christ and his love for the church. So husbands, one of my greatest struggles, and I would imagine... Right? Your greatest struggle, our greatest struggle, one of them as husbands is, is self-centeredness. Right? We must fight self-centeredness in our marriage. Right? The explicit call of Christian husbands is to use your authority for the good of others, not yourself. You are given authority to serve. Self-denial is necessary. In fact, commanded for husbands. Husband, you must deny yourself and serve your wife. You're commanded to do that. In marriage, it looks like fighting laziness. Maybe it means denying or giving up your habits or hobbies. Are you serving self at the cost of serving your wife? I'm not saying if you're retired, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not charging you with wrong. Right? I think you can have a hobby and serve your wife, but it better not be one at the expense of the other. You better make sure you're serving your wife before you're enjoying things yourself. Right? Husbands are called to serve their wives. It looks like being inconvenienced for the sake of others. And so here's some specifics. So, so the two categories of here's what it looks like for a husband to love his wife, and here's what it looks like for a husband to lead. So, so what does it look like for a husband to love his wife? He grows in a willingness to deny himself and ensure his wife's well-being and care. He cares for his wife in a compassionate and a loving way. He's vigilant to guard against tones and language that would wound his wife. 
He's vigilant to guard against tones, tones and language that could wound his wife. He spends regular quality time with his wife and consistently makes her feel precious to him. Ask your wife, do you feel like you're precious to me? Do you feel like you're, I'm your, you're my top priority? But don't be afraid of the answer. Right? Ask her, do you feel treasured by me? If she says no, well, how can I change that? Treasure her. He takes every precaution not to demean his wife by looking at other women in inappropriate ways or interacting with other women in inappropriate ways or desiring other women in inappropriate ways in his heart. That's how you love your wife. She's your wife. No one else is your wife. No one else deserves your affections or your heart or your intimacy. It is your wife that you owe those things to. So you take every precaution not to demean your wife by looking at other women in inappropriate ways. He denies himself of the desire to relax when his wife needs to talk or engage. So young dads, I'm with you. Right? Your wife has been, been talking to five-year-olds or two-year-olds all day, and you get home, and she's ready to talk you to serve your wife. You don't say, I need time alone right now. She needs to talk to a person who can understand and so you sit there and you engage. You don't just turn on the TV or have your phone and scroll and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You engage. You shut off your electronics and you listen. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm saying that my wife is sitting right here and I know I'm, I don't do this well. Just hear me say that. Right? So, so my passion is not because I've got it conquered, but because I know I need to hear this. If I talk loud enough, it'll come back through my ears and maybe get down. <laughs> So, so just hear me, right? We're all in process. I'm going to say more about that in a second. But he denies himself of the desire to relax when his wife needs to talk or engage. So maybe if your house is full of, of young kids on your drive home, just mentally prepare. Okay, my tendency is to be really, really short with my wife and, and to go have my own time. But okay, I'm not called to do that. I'm called to, to love my wife. And so I'm going to listen. I'm going to sit. And however long it takes... He is willing to lovingly care for his wife as long as she would need if she were to become disabled or terminally ill and could provide nothing to him in return. One, one commentary mentioned this, and I just, I just wanted to share this, that, that there is no more powerful picture than a husband who cares for his wife who, who's disabled or permanently ill, mentally ill, and can offer nothing in return. Right? So, so there's, there's Robert Louis McQuilkin, who was a president of a, a Columbia Bible College, I believe, who, whose wife, that was the case, 25 years he cared for a disabled wife. She could give him nothing in return, yet he, he loved her. Right? What a picture. So husband, you don't, you don't love based on what you get in return. You love based on she's your wife. And when you say for better or worse, sickness and health, that's what you mean. And so husband, that's what you commit to. And then what does it look like for a husband to lead? Right? He leads. Right? You lead. You don't boss. You don't rule. You don't demand. You, you lead. You resist the temptation to any form of self-centered demanding. You better do this because I'm your husband. Right? That's not how you lead. You learn to discern your wife's needs and strive to meet them. Study your wife. Never stop being a student of your wife. 
No matter how long. Some of you have been married decades. Right? You still ought to be a student of your wife. He's responsible for seeking his wife's input on casting vision and direction for the family and, and, and how, to, how to devise a, a God-centered life and plan for his family. So, so you don't say, okay, I got this. I don't need your input. No, you say, I, I have to have your input. God gave you t- to me so that we could do this together. So please help me. You, you seek the input of your wife. You take initiative in conflict resolution. And you concentrate. Here's what I want to close with. You concentrate on doing what this passage says about your role rather than insisting that your wife fulfill hers. That's what it looks like to lead. You You don't worry about her role. You worry about what am I called to do. And so husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you're not married, if you're a man and you're not married... You, you're called to serve others sacrificially, right? So, so just because you don't have a wife, maybe your wife has, has passed away, maybe you don't have a wife yet, you still ought to give of yourself for the good of others, right? You're part of a, a family here, and there are needs, and you deny self to meet the needs of others. That, that's a way that you can apply this passage. If you're considering marriage, you want to be married one day, husband, a- ask yourself this question. Is this a woman that I can lead and encourage and lay my life down for every day for the rest of my life. Now, I know there's still lots of questions, and I know, and I wanted to say a lot more, but I didn't. But, but one thing that I hope is clear, and I hope what is clear is that the foundation for understanding the proper roles between husbands and wives is found in the relationship between Christ and the church. So that relationship, the, the gospel, the, the fact that Jesus laid down his life for sinners, rebels, that they might go free and live. The gospel, that relationship, provides the basis on which husbands and wives live together in marriage. And so as both parties, husbands and wives, focus on their own roles, we can be sure that God will give us grace to grow. So husband, your wife is never going to perfectly obey this command. Wife, your husband is never going to perfectly obey this command. right? But with God's help, we can grow. And by God's grace, we will grow. And as Christian husbands and wives live together, recognizing that no husband, no wife has it all together, and there is no perfect marriage, instead, we live as husbands and wives, we live marriages made up of imperfect husbands and wives who are aiming to picture the perfect marriage between Christ and his church. And we long for that day when Christ and his bride will be united and will never be separated ever again. Let's pray.